Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Doable Discipleship. We are glad you are tuned in with us. I am your host, Brandon Robinson, also joined by the other host, Jason Wheeland. Jason Wheeland. Jason, what is your favorite intro line to say with Doable Discipleship? My favorite intro line is always that we are the show that helps you grow. That is exactly. that, <laughs> that is my jam. That's Jason's jam, and we are the show that helps you grow, a show designed to deepen your faith and friendship with God. Again, we are back with another Q&A session with Pastor Tom on the subject of the Holy Spirit. Really excited for you guys. Yeah, our last one for a little while, but I'm really excited for you guys uh, to hear this. I think this is one of, when we think about the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's like the most confusing aspect, right? It's, <laughs> what, is it an it? Is it a he? Is it a yeah. person? How do we, is it a force? What in the world is going on? We're going to get into a lot of that in this conversation in Q&A with Pastor Tom. So stick in with us. It's going to be really good. Also, again, if you want to get in on this content, saddleback.com slash foundations. There you will find all of the material and info you need to get started. And the good thing is you can hop in wherever. Uh, So go ahead and give us a look there at saddleback.com slash foundations. So with that, uh, without further ado, we're going to get into our conversation. Good evening, everybody. And I am excited about the questions. We got some really good ones. So Pastor Tom, let's start with this. How can I notice the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life? And how can I cooperate with him to listen and obey? That That is a really good question. Uh, before before I jump into that question, uh, I did want to talk about some, of, some practical things. Uh, Jason was uh, saying this is the end of course one. And I thought it'd be good for you guys to know how this has emerged. Uh, we used to teach foundations, uh, all three courses as just one course. So it was like, depending on how we did it, it was 22 or 24 or 26 sessions. Uh, and I, I can remember the years people would come in the first session and we'd say, and we'd say okay, we're in this together now for the next uh, 26 weeks. And you'd actually hear a groan from everybody out there like, oh, no, you know, but they would barely make it through sometimes. And it was just uh, it's it, it felt like sometimes like I like steak, but I don't really want a three pound steak on my plate right now. Can I just have like a little piece of steak or if you're vegetarian, I like kale, but I don't need like a whole bushel of kale right now. It feels like you're giving me the whole bushel. So we split it into three uh, specific sections, I think. Everything and all of them is important. Uh, we saved the second coming until the last of the last session because that's the one everybody wants. I get it. I understand. But you know, you got to understand all the other doctrines and all the other truths before you really understand the second coming. That's how that works. So uh, hang on, that's coming. And uh, those of you that have just finished the first course, I am. I mean, you've learned about the uh, importance of the Scripture and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Talk about a foundation during this time. Uh, for living the kind of life that you want to live. And I just want to remind you of the importance of a foundation. Uh, When everything is shaken, and everything is shaken right now, a foundation is the most important thing that you can have. And so the reason to learn God's truths is not just so I can impress my neighbors that I know something that nobody else knows, or feel smarter than other people, because I don't think any of us feel that way. It's so that I can have something to stand on. 
during tough times. So when you learn the truth about God, you understand that there's a God that cares about you as we're walking through these difficult days. When you learn the truth about Jesus, you understand that really, no matter what we're, fo- we're doing, we're following Jesus. It, it doesn't matter really the circumstances around us. I've got a relationship with him and I'm following him. And sometimes I feel joyful because of the circumstances of my life. Sometimes I feel discouraged because of the circumstances of my life. Whatever the circumstances, I'm following him in those circumstances. I mean, read the Apostle Paul who followed Jesus. He wasn't always happy, but he was always following. And that's the foundation that you're standing on. And the Holy Spirit that we're going to talk about the next few minutes, the power of God in our individual personal lives is so important. And so this question about how do I notice the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life? Uh, It used to be that in order for people to know that the Spirit was in their lives, they would do something physical. If you look at the Old Testament, in order to encounter the Spirit or the presence of God, they'd go to the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, That was where the presence of God dwelt. You remember we talked about this during the last couple of weeks. And so they'd experience God's presence. They didn't even get to go in to the temple or even to the steps of the temple, most of them, almost all of them. They got to go to the courts that were outside of the temple. They got to be close to the presence of God and to experience that. And because they did something physical, they went up to Jerusalem, they felt like they were experiencing God's presence. But you and I, we don't do something physical. It's not like to experience his presence, I have to take the Lord's Supper, although I experience his presence when I take the Lord's Supper. Or I have to be even in a physical worship service. We're not in a physical worship service, many of us right now, most of us. And so how do I know that he's in my life? Well, the Bible talks about the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. That's how you see the evidence of his presence in your life. The gifts of the Spirit are these abilities that he gives you, the ability to uh, teach other people or to help people. And how do you know it's the Spirit's gifts and not my gifts? Well, a couple, couple ways. You might even write these down if you're writing things down. First, I use them unselfishly. If they're my gifts, I'm going to use them selfishly to get credit for myself, to get pats on the back for myself, to get money for myself. I mean, if they're my gifts, I use them selfishly. If they're the Spirit's gifts, you use them spiritually. You use them unselfishly. So you're using the Spirit's gifts in in that kind of way. And then also you see unusual results happening. Things happen out of using you using those gifts that couldn't happen apart from what God was doing. I'll just tell you one story. My wife, Shondell, has the gift of helps. So she likes helping people. Uh, A couple of months ago, uh, we were doing communion for the first time. And she knew several uh, people on our block go to Saddleback from time to time. And so she went to the store and she bought communion stuff for them. I mean, you could have used whatever was in the home. That's what we told people. But she bought them a little thing of of grape juice and she bought them some... uh, some communion wafers. And she, she, it was really early on in COVID-19. She didn't go in their house. She, didn't, she just went and left it on their door. Didn't even ring their doorbell. Just let them know that it was there. Well, about a month later, one of the families told us that their teenagers hadn't been going to church. But because she brought that communion stuff, they thought, oh, we'll go to church together this weekend. And from that time on, they've been going to church as a family every single week. It's been life-transforming. The kids in that family have felt loved when they weren't feeling loved before. And that all came out of the gift of helps. That's an unusual result 
to just bring in people grape juice. But guess what? That's what God does when you're using your gifts for his, for his glory. Now, I wanted to use that illustration very specifically because I think a lot of people think the only way you see the Spirit's power is if you're like singing up in front of people or, or preaching up in front of people. But I know as a teacher, the reason the Spirit works in power is because somebody brought somebody to hear God's Word. Somebody was kind to somebody out in the community, and they showed up and wanted to see what Saddleback was all about. So more often than you realize, if you happen to have the gift of helps, which is just What's the need? And God, how can I unselfishly meet people's needs that are around me? That gift, I believe, is used more often than any other to lead people to Christ because they, they know that they're loved. It's the Good Samaritan gift. That's what the Good Samaritan did. He had that gift of helps. So you, you have the, the gifts of the Spirit working in your life. You see those things happening, unselfishly serving other people and seeing God work in unusual ways. And then you also have the fruit of the Spirit. And that's love, joy, you know, these characteristics that we hear in, in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see that you're increasing in those areas of life, that you're growing in those areas. It's not that you're instantly always joyful, but you're, you're becoming more joyful through your life. And you might not be more joyful than the person next door externally because they are just a happy, happy, happy person. But even though you've been discouraged most of your life, all of a sudden you're finding causes for joy and circumstances, invitations to joy. You're able to be at peace during this time, and you wonder where that's coming from. Those are the, those are the, that's the fruit of the Spirit. And when you look at a tree, how do you know what what kind of tree it is. And I've got a lot of fruit trees in my backyard. They're all pretty small. They don't bear very well because they're just starting to go. And even when they do bear, the squirrels and the birds take all my fruit. But I'm not going to get into that, my frustrations about that, because then I wouldn't be at peace and I wouldn't be patient. So these, fruit, these trees, when they start to grow, how do I know which one's a nectarine tree and which one's a peach tree? They look exactly the same. The only way I know is by the fruit that's on them. So how do you know if the Holy Spirit is working in your life? You're seeing these characteristics begin to grow in your life. Not perfection, not instant, but slowly but surely you're seeing this happen. Um, for some people, when they talk about the presence of the Spirit, there is an emotion that's attached to it. There's this sense of God's presence. And I, I know that that's true because I've felt that many, many, many times in my life. But I also know that it's just as true that whether I feel God's presence in that moment or not, He is present with me. The Holy Spirit is present with me. So i got to be careful not to confuse my emotions with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I believe He gives, those, gives us those emotions. We are to delight in the Lord. We are to rejoice in the Lord. And you should embrace those emotions as they come. But you don't you don't see those emotions as the evidence of the fact that God's Spirit is with you, because God's promise is His Spirit's with you whether you feel up or you feel down, however you happen to feel. So that's some of the places that you look to see the evidences of the Spirit. That's a long answer, uh, but I, and, and I could even go longer, but we have some more questions, so, uh, so let's keep going. <laughs> okay, here's the next one. I still struggle to understand what holy means. Can you tell me more about what it means that I am a holy temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit? Yes. What does that mean? Holy means set apart. 
It means God has set you apart for his purposes. It's the same word as we're going to study in Foundations Course 2. This is an unashamed ad for Course 2, for those of you that need to go on. We're going to study in Course 2, sanctification, how we grow in Christ. And the Bible word sanctification is the same word for holy. The word saint comes out of the word for sanctification. And so to be holy means that God has set you apart as distinct for his purposes. You are different. It means to be different because of God's choice in your life. It doesn't mean to be perfect because there are no such things. <laughs> there's no such thing as a perfect Christian. We're all growing in life. Uh, it, it doesn't mean holier than thou, that somehow, you know, you're picky and uh, you're looking down your spiritual nose at everybody. It simply means that God has set you apart for his purposes. So Paul's writing Timothy and he says, you know, in a, in a house, uh, there's some utensils, there's some plates, they're just for common use, you know, and you just sort of use them every day. But there's other plates that you've set them apart for special purposes. And that in your house might be the china. You put it in a china cabinet. You only use it sometimes a year because it is special to you. Well, God is saying, you're special to me. I've set you apart. But he's not, you're not just special like, wow, aren't you special? You're, he, he says, as Paul's writing Timothy, he says, you're set apart for a special purpose, for God's purposes to be working in your life. So to, to be holy simply means that God has set you apart to use you for his purposes. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, here we go. Are we born with the Spirit, and it is simply awakened in us when we accept Jesus into our lives, or does it come into us once we accept Jesus? Well, as far as the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, comes into us when we receive Jesus. Mm-hmm. He is not a part of our lives until we receive Jesus, as far as entering into our lives. So when you say, Jesus Christ, I accept you as my Savior and Lord, that instant, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, the presence of God. You may feel it, you may not feel it. As I said before, the emotions may be different. I do want to say, though, that even before you come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit isn't in your life, but he is working on your life. Mm-hmm. Jesus talked about this in uh, when he was talking to the disciples the night before he died. They're in the upper room. So John, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, those chapters of Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. In John 16, he talks about, well, several times throughout, he talks about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm going to send you another comforter who's going to be the Holy Spirit. He talks about, you don't understand what I'm saying now, but later the Spirit will reveal these things to you. But he also talks about the Spirit's relationship with those who don't yet know Christ. And he says, the Spirit is there to convict the world. He's there to convict the world of their sin. How do we know that we're sinners? How do we know that we need God? How, how could we possibly know that? We're evil. We're separated from God before we become Christians. What brings it to our mind that we need a relationship with God? What brings it to our mind that what we're doing is wrong? It's the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's the Holy Spirit. So from outside of us, he's still convicting the inside of us. He's convicting our hearts. But outside of us, he is convicting the world. And specifically, it says he convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what Jesus said. So sin, the wrong that we do, righteousness, the right that we could have in our lives. There's something missing in my life. You felt that before you became a Christian. Where did that come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. 
It, it wasn't your idea or your parents' idea. It came from the Holy Spirit working on you and also judgment, like, uh-oh, something's coming and, and I need to do something. I, I don't know what's coming, but something isn't right and something's going wrong in the future. All that comes from the Holy Spirit convicting people before they become a Christian. And then the moment you come to Christ, he comes into your life, not before that, that moment. Perfect. Did that answer that whole question? I think so. I was, that, I was just going back to look at it. Yeah, I think that is. It's we have we have our soul, but we don't have the Holy Spirit until He comes to live in us when we accept Christ. So yeah, I think that completely answers it. But I think this next one is interesting because it you know you talked about the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin. Um, this person asked, if I confess my sins and repent of them, does that mean that God did not forgive me of my sins when I got saved? So that's a good question. And, and a lot of people have this question. And, you know, because when, when I commit a sin now, when I commit a sin now, I go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I need your forgiveness. But here's the truth of the matter. If, if you want to get technical about it, and there is a little technical stuff here. The minute you say to Jesus, when you're saved, I need you, he forgives all your sins, past, present, and future. I think we talked about this a couple of times ago. God is timeless. He's outside of time. So he can't just forgive the sins in the past. He would still know about the ones in the present and the future. And so you would be unforgiven in his sight. The only way that God can forgive you is to forgive it all. So he forgives all your sins, past, present, and future. But so when, when you as a Christian say, would you forgive me? What you're really doing is you're reminding yourself that he has forgiven you. Mm -hmm. you're, you're standing again in that place of forgiveness. Is it wrong to say, would you forgive me? No, no. There's examples of those prayers in the scripture. But it's, it is wrong to think that that sin caused you to be separated from God again. It did not. He would not remember that sin when you got to heaven. Like, okay, all the sins that I committed, like after I'm saved, does that mean that all those sins he's going to count against me and all the ones, unless I ask for forgiveness? Uh, in the early church, they had some really strange beliefs about this. Uh, they, they thought, they actually taught for a while that only the sins that you committed after you were baptized were the ones that God remembered. So you know what people did? They waited a long time to be baptized, like almost at death's door. Then they were baptized, and then they would, you know, feel like, okay, I'm going into heaven without a lot of sins on my, on my plate. Well, that was wrong. That was a false teaching in the church. Because the truth is, as, as somebody just indicated in asking that question, he forgives them all, past, mm -hmm. present, past, present, and future. Mm -hmm. Now, before the next one, I told you guys last time, I'm going to ask you questions on each of these, so because I, I love doing that. And so you can just write answers in the chat, and I'll read them back. And Because I, I, I think some of the questions you're going to ask in a minute, we can answer some of them together, actually, uh, get some ideas together. But I would like to ask just some broader questions first. We talked about the evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives. And so I'd just like to ask a couple questions, because we want to see the Spirit do things. And, and I'd like to know what's on your hearts, what, what you'd like to see the Spirit do. So my first question is, if, if you could pick, these are questions that come out of foundations. If you, if you were in a class, and afterwards we were sitting together in a group, you'd be talking together about this. I don't want you to miss this part of foundation. So I like to ask it, I like to ask them of you. So if you could pick one place in your life where you'd like to see God working in greater ways, what would it be? 
And you can just, I, I, this isn't, I know it doesn't have to be full confession. It's just a few words, all right? But it's just a few words. If you could pick one place in your life where you'd like to see God working in greater ways, what, what would it be? And that is an honest answer. My marriage or finance, I'd love to see God working in greater ways. Letting go of past regrets and hurts and wounds, that is honest. And we would all like to see God working in greater ways in that. One place. Anybody else have just one place? Just type it in really fast. I have a feeling there's a couple more out there. My family relationships. Mm -hmm. I would guess that's a very common theme with us because we're so close to our families. We see the cracks. We see the difficulties and the struggles. And so we need that. Letting go, of, letting go of the past. Amen to that. Having the right career, seeing God's leadership. I'd like to see him working in greater ways in my insecurities. That's one of the ones I list when I say, where would I like to see God working in greater ways? I've had a lifelong struggle with insecurity, and I, I want to continue to see God working, to know God's love more, to understand God's purpose. These are good, you guys. And that, that's our heartbeat. And that's the Holy Spirit's work to work in those areas that we're praying about yeah. relationship with my girlfriend. Let me ask another one. Since we got into that one, if you could pick one of your character traits, one character quality where you'd like to see God working in that area of your life. And it's not necessarily it's bad. It's just an area that you desire to be better. So I'm not saying that, you know, you're terrible at this and, but what is it you'd say, yeah. if I could pick, even if you t take a look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, you could pick from those nine or pick from something else. What is a character trait where you say, I I'd like to see God develop in me more in that area of life? Patience, yeah, more wisdom, amen. Communication skills with coworkers, that's the truth. Change a habit of constant worry, work on peace and love and patience, cursing. James said, if anybody's perfect with their mouth, they're perfect in every other way. And none of us are perfect with our mouth, that's for sure. Uh, gentleness, to have self-control and discipline in my life. Humility, not false humility, but godly humility. Wisdom, amen to that. Not to be hard-hearted, hard but to be soft-hearted, to have compassion for other people. Yeah, I want more of that. I do. All these things you're typing in about where you want God to work, the character qualities, this is a desire. Everything we're talking about is a desire for the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives, because that's what he does. We're talking about his job description to work in all of these areas of life. Uh, one other question from our questions, and let, let me just see if there's any ideas on this one. You may have some ideas, you may not. I don't know. Uh, the question is, some Christian leaders say up to 95% of believers live worldly lives. In other words, lives that are impatient and, and angry and, and lustful and selfish and more about the things of this world than about the relationships of this world. In other words, they look pretty much like their non-Christian neighbors. I don't know if the 95% is true. I don't know if it's true at Saddleback. Uh, I'm not here to uh, argue about statistics right now. I hope it's not true, but I do know it's a large percentage. And so my question is, just as an overall, it, what, what is it that you would think might be what causes it to be easy or common 
to settle for less than God's best in our spiritual lives. You know, we, we do that. We all do that. I do that. You do that. And we're talking about some people who they wouldn't even be on this call because they're just not about God, even though they might know Christ. They're about selfishness more. What causes us to settle for less than best in our spiritual lives? What are some of the factors you see? I'm not saying necessarily even in your life, your life now, although it might be, but just everyone. It could be ignorance. That's right. They haven't been taught. We haven't taught people how to live a spiritual life. I think that might be the number one reason. Or, or, or people, um, people see that they want, this is very wise what somebody typed, who said, that they want instant results, and the Spirit doesn't give us instant results. And so you have to be patient, you have to wait. There is sometimes a fear of being faithful. I agree with that. People are afraid of getting close to God. What's he going to take from me? How is he going to change me to be like a weirdo? You know, I'm not going to ever be, you know, happy again when he's pure joy. I mean, obviously it's Satan's lie, but it is a lie that a lot of people buy into. I I have no doubt about that. They feel like to be a real Christian is to be really weird. You you know what I'm talking about? And that feeling, that's Satan's. that, That is Satan's message, not God's message. To be a real Christian is to be really joyful, to be really real to be really patient, to be really loving, to be really happy. That's what it means to be a, a real Christian, but people struggle with that. Uh, and some people look at God as if he's human, and the human failings that they've had cause us, to, cause us to not trust God. Sometimes the hurts that we've been through can become a barrier to our spiritual growth. The hurts that we've been through in church, some of you have been through a hurt in church, and we connect church with God and Christ. And we think, if the church treats me that way, then I'm not going to be a part of what Christ wants to do in my life. So what's just happened is some carnal Christians in the church are, are cheating a lot of people out of the rich spiritual life that they deserve. There's no doubt about that. Uh, not understanding God's commands in our lives. Wanting a free and easy life. That's honest. You know, that's just honest. I want the easy way, not the difficult way. And uh, if I take the easy way, I'm not going to find the spiritual fruit that I want to see in my life or the growth that I want to see in my life. I mean, to be a disciple, the root word is discipline. I mean, (laughs) so there is some discipline involved in being a disciple. And uh, discipline is not our favorite thing. In fact, Hebrews, you know, Hebrews 12 tells us that all discipline seems not for the moment not to be joyful, but painful. There's, there's pain in any level of discipline. And so we don't want to go through that in our lives. And that, um, you know, we, we think of, okay, when I'm at work, that's when I got to work hard. But the weekend and even church and God, that's like my time. And so I don't need discipline there because I've already had to be disciplined at work. But it's a di- different kind of discipline. I think that's one of the things we have to remember. It's a relational discipline. It's the discipline of a marriage that's working right. When you're giving up something for somebody else and they're giving up something for you. I know it doesn't always work that way. I know there's been pain in a lot of you for a lot of you in a marriage. I understand that. But those moments when it does work right and we're being unselfish with each other, then that discipline of unselfishness brings a deeper joy than anything else can. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. And the good thing about a relationship with God is it's not like a marriage where the person might let you down. God will never let you down. He will never let you down. He's always going to be there. 
These are really good answers, you guys. All right, I don't want to take all the time with my questions because I know you guys had some, but thank you for uh, letting me jump in with a few because that lets me learn from you, which I love. This is awesome. <laughs> no, I love and We all love hearing from you, Pastor Tom. <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, this one says, and it has to do with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It just says yes. that that they cannot be forgiven. It says blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Can you explain more what that means? So um, there's some, well, it's good to put in context what was happening when Jesus talked about this, the seriousness of what was going on. The religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, were saying that Jesus was Satan. Mm -hmm. So they were, they were attributing the works of God to Satan. So they, they were not, not just sort of missing it, they were totally missing it. <laughs> There's some Bible teachers who think when Jesus said that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, uh, that really we couldn't even do that today, that Jesus isn't walking the earth right now. And so we can't attribute, we can't look at Jesus and say he's Satan. Right. Uh, that's, that, that's what he was talking about. I don't happen to believe that, but that, that is one common teaching. Uh, that, that that's how serious it is when we talk about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Um, the other side of it is to take it that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, to blaspheme, sometimes we mean, we say is to swear against. You know, if I speak a blasphemy, it's like swear words. I remember many years ago, I took a, a counseling call from a guy uh, called into Saddleback, and he was just devastated. And he said, I can't ever be saved. And I said, why is that? He said, because I blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. I said, well, what did you do? And he, and he told me what he did. I won't say the words, but he, he, he swore against the Holy Spirit. He said, blankety blank, blank, Holy Spirit. And he said, I, I'm, that's it. I can't be saved. And so I talked to him about it. And I said, that's not what that means. Mm -hmm. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not accepting the work of the Spirit in your life. It's rejecting the work of your, the Spirit. We just said the work of the Spirit is to convict you concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And if I reject that work that He's doing in my life, then I can't be saved because I'm not going to turn to Jesus. I'm going to try to be saved by my own good works, or I'm going to believe I don't need to be saved. I'm going to fool myself and think there's no afterlife, even though, you know, 90, 95% of people believe that there is. Why do they believe that? Because the Spirit's telling us that there's a judgment, that there's an afterlife. So I, I'm going to do all everything that I can to push away the work of the Holy Spirit. So I believe that because the work of the Holy Spirit is to lead me to Jesus, that the answer to me is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is to reject what the Spirit's doing to lead me to Jesus. And if I do that, there is no forgiveness for me, because the only forgiveness is in the cross. The only forgiveness is in what Christ did for us on the cross. If there was any other way to be forgiven, Jesus would not have died on the cross. Why? Why would Jesus come and sacrifice his life, go through that pain, take our sin upon us, go through the physical and spirit. It would be, it would be absolute. God would be a sadist if he made his son go through that, if I could be saved through some other means. The only reason Jesus did that is it's the only way to be saved. Because my sin problem 
is so huge that it can't be solved by my good works and by my, by my good thoughts or any religious, any, any religious ritual that I go through. And so if I reject the Spirit leading me to Jesus, I, I'm, I'm not going to have a, pl- a way of salvation. So that's, what I, that's a long answer about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but that's a question I know a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can the Holy Spirit leave the believer when a person doesn't keep up their relationship with God? No, the Holy Spirit cannot leave us. It's, it's one of the things we'll talk about again. Uh, another, here's another unashamed ad for part two, course two. When we talk about salvation, we're going to talk about the assurance of our salvation. But I'll, I'll tell you some of the answer now. I'm not going to wait. Thank you. Wait until we get there. Uh, Ephesians chapter one is one of the places where the Bible says that the Holy Spirit's been given to us as a deposit of our salvation. And we talked about this uh, in the last few weeks, so I'm just reminding you of some of the things that we that we just looked at together. Uh, that that word deposit has the idea of an engagement ring or money that was put down on land. And in the days that the Bible was written, that kind of deposit couldn't be lost. A deposit that was put down was an absolute guarantee that you were going to buy that land, you were going to marry that person, or you'd lose the deposit, or they would keep the wedding ring. It wasn't given back. That was the deposit. It was put down. Well, think of this. God's saying, I'm putting my Holy Spirit down as a deposit that guarantees your salvation. Well, God can't lose himself. If he put himself down as the deposit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he can't lose himself. Everything would cease to exist at that point. So he's put down the greatest possible deposit, and because of that, you and I have an assurance of our salvation and an assurance of the Spirit's work in our lives. The Bible says the minute we become Christians, we are, uh, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that word sealing is another picture that's like the sealing of, a, of an envelope in that day. Uh, the seal, the stamp of whoever uh, wrote that envelope would seal it so that you would know who the owner was. So he's saying, I'm your owner now. And you can't take ownership back. You are still you are still owned by him. I know there's a lot of practical questions about this, like, wait, wait, I knew this guy. He said he became a Christian, and he went out and lived a life all on his own. What's, what's with that person? And I got to tell you, I don't know what's with that person, because I don't know their spiritual heart. I do know that there are some who have done that. They said they became a Christian, and they did not. John says in, uh, in 1 John, they went out from us because they were not of us. They never really had a relationship with Christ. They just wanted uh, the fellowship that the church gave them, or maybe the business contacts the church gave them, or, or whatever, the way it made them feel in the moment, the music made them feel. They didn't really make a commitment to Christ. I know that that's true, but I also know it's true because I've talked to these people, that there are those who come to Christ, and then they live a, a carnal life, and they're miserable the whole time. They're trying to be happy by getting more things, and they're trying to be happy by pleasing all the people that are around them. And then they get addicted to alcohol. They get addicted to drugs, and they're in that world for a while, and they're just miserable the whole time. And then they finally come back to Christ. And while they were going through it, they would have told you, oh, no, I'm totally happy. I don't need the church anymore. It's only at the end of the story that you see what was really happening in their lives. So either could be true, and I don't know which is true. Right. as somebody's going through that. But I do know that God's promise is that the Holy Spirit is given as a deposit who does not get taken away. Now, let me just say one more thing about that. 
Just because the Holy Spirit is in your life, we talked about this, but it's just good to reaffirm it. Just because he's in your life does not mean he is filling your life. So when Paul writes the Ephesians and he says, be filled with the Spirit, it's a continual relationship with God. I've got to be filled with the Spirit each and every day. That means that instead of me like pushing the Spirit down and saying, I'm going to do it my way, I'm opening my heart up and saying, Spirit, do it your way. And as we talked about the last few weeks, it's a matter, it's a matter of letting go. Mm-hmm. When I hold on to it too tightly, the Spirit can't be at work in my life because I'm trying to do it my way. When I let go, the Spirit can be at work because I'm open to doing it His way. Now, there's a big problem with that. Control. Mm-hmm. When I let it go, it's not in my control anymore. And that's very scary for all of us, some of us more than others, depending on our personalities, but also depending on our life experiences. And so this issue of control, who's going to be in control of my life, is very key to what it means to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means the Spirit's controlling your life. That means you're looking to God's Word and looking to the Spirit's confirmation of His Word for what you're going to do next. And when you hear that, you do it. You may want to do it. You may not want to do it, but you you do what he's told you to do. Mm -hmm. You let him be in control. So yes, the spirit's in your life, but is he controlling your life right now? Is he filling your life? That's the question we have to ask ourselves on a daily, sometimes hourly basis. Mm -hmm. Um, Dan just asked in the chat, and I think it's it's a great question. It's the one that's kind of before this, and that is, how do you know that you have the Holy Spirit in the first place? The way to know that you have the Holy Spirit is uh, when you ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and be the Lord and manager of your life. When you invite Christ into your life, he promised us in John 15 and in John 16 and John 14, all those chapters, he promised us that when we invite him into our lives, he will send his spirit into our lives. He will send the Holy Spirit, not his spirit, but the Holy Spirit into our lives. And so uh, you don't have to pray a a Jesus prayer, Jesus come into my life, and then a Holy Spirit prayer, Holy Spirit come into my life. Right. Uh, There are many people who pray a Jesus prayer, Jesus come into my life, and don't realize that the Holy Spirit's come into their life. I was one of those. I I prayed a prayer. I didn't even understand what it meant to be a Christian. So I didn't, nobody explained to me that I got a new power from the Holy Spirit, a new way to look at life. I, I didn't understand it. And some, somebody talked about ignorance earlier. I was ignorant of the Holy Spirit until somebody started to teach me about it. Months after I became a Christian, I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And so the Holy Spirit does come into our lives, but we need to be taught by God's Word and other believers and the example of others about how He, how he works in our lives. <laughs> Thank you. Here's another one about how the Holy Spirit works. How can I tell when the Holy Spirit is nudging me or trying to guide me or tell me something? My experience is there's this experience where things start to line up in your life. And all of a sudden, I, I wouldn't call it a nudge usually with me, with the Holy Spirit. It's a pretty hard push a lot of times because I, I need the push. And what happens is every sermon you hear is about this subject. Now, it may be only one line in the sermon, but it's the line you heard. And you start feeling like, man, is, 
is somebody writing Pastor Rick about what I'm going through? Like, is he reading this? Is he reading my mail kind of moment? But then you listen to some other guy online, and he's talking about the same thing. And then you listen to Drive Time Devotions, and I'm talking about the same thing. And then you read a book, and it's about the same thing, even though it was supposed to be about something else. The Holy Spirit just keeps taking you to this truth again and again and again. So that starts to, to line up. But then also what other people are saying in, in your life. You hear these words, these phrases from people that start to line up. Uh, and what's happening is the Holy Spirit within you is drawing your attention to those phrases. He's drawing your attention to those what's happening through those scriptures. Every time you read the Bible, it's about this same thing. It's happening again and again and again. When, when, those, when things start to line up like that, there's no doubt it's the Holy Spirit talking to you, using all those things. It's not just your idea. Because guess what? On our own, we don't get the idea to be unselfish. We, we just don't. <laughs> if you have an idea to do something unselfish, it's the Holy Spirit who is leading you to do that. And, and so one of my habits has been, you know, if it's an unselfish thing and I feel nudged to, to do it, do it. Do it. Don't, don't go, oh, am I really being unselfish? You know, or is that, it's maybe somebody else is supposed to do that. If I'm nudged to do something unselfish, something loving, then I should do it because it is what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. You look again at those fruit of the Spirit. If you're nudged to be patient, if you're nudged to be gentle, do all those things mm -hmm. if you feel like doing them because those feelings aren't coming from you at that point. They are coming from the Spirit. He's the one who leads us to do that. Perfect. We had a question come in a little bit earlier from Abjit, and I want to read it to you. Um, it says, as a new believer, I was asked by an atheist, convince me to follow Christ, but you can't use anything in the Bible. I choked. How should I answer that? Well, you got to talk about Christ if you're going to talk about following Christ. So you say, you just say, well, let me tell you the story of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And if they say, no, 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 the story of Jesus is in the Bible, you go, well, it's also in history. Mm -hmm. So... When I, I'm reading through the book of Acts in my quiet time right now, and I was reading uh, Peter's first sermon the last few days. And, in, and the first thing that Peter does, right out of the gate, okay, so this is the first sermon of the church. There isn't a New Testament yet, right? So he can't use the New Testament. Let's look at what Paul said in Romans. Let's look at, uh, you know, uh, the book of Hebrews. And by the way, in the book of Revelation, he couldn't say any of that. There was no New Testament. Right. So what does he do? He gets up. And he talks about the betrayal of Jesus. He talks about the trials of Jesus. He talks about the crucifixion of Jesus. And he talks about the resurrection of Jesus. He talks about those four things. So that's not a bad model. I'd do what Peter did. I would, I would talk to people. And if they say, you can't talk about the life of Jesus, you go, uh, so you want me to tell you how to follow Jesus without talking about Jesus? That seems like, uh, <laughs> sorry, I can't do that one. <laughs> Here's another one. Um, why doesn't God make us make us come to him instead of giving us free will? Yeah, that's one of the biggest questions and, and <laughs> that all of us have. And when we talk about good and evil, we're going to dig into this a little bit more. Mm -hmm. uh, and you'll, you'll hear us talk about love. The only answer that I can, I can sense is that God wants a relationship of love with us. And if you make someone do everything, they don't love you. 
It's like a, a robot kind of relationship. It's like a, a, a employer, employer, employee kind of relationship. And God didn't want us just to be workers for him. He, he wants us to be his children. He has adopted us into his family. Well, that kind of a relationship requires love, a love relationship between us and God. And love is a choice. But love cannot be forced. You can't force someone to love somebody else uh, by any means. And so to me, it's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us, not just now, but for all eternity, this love relationship. I see someone has a question about baptism. Maybe we could. Uh... Jason, can you unmute Dan Beck? I love hearing your guys' questions. Hi, Tom. Hey, Dan. The question I have, I, I know I've given my life to Christ, and now I know I had Holy Spirit. Now, I've been baptized so many times in so many churches. I just don't know if I should be baptized again because I, I, I don't feel I have to, but yet I don't know. Should I or should I not? If I, because most, most of the time I felt like I've had to be baptized because to be joining a church. So what would you say about that? Well, Dan, that's a really, really good question. And, uh, you know, we, we do talk about this. I'll, any of you that haven't taken class 101 yet, by the way, I wasn't going to say this, but since you asked the question, we have a long section about baptism in class 101, and it is happening this weekend. So if you haven't taken it yet, I, I strongly encourage you. Uh, I don't yes. know, maybe Linda or Jason, you can put a link in the in the chat. To let's pick yes, I am taking class 101 with Pastor Jay online, but he has not gone back to me with a website or nothing to get to that class. Well, you're going to get it right now. It's uh, it's they're putting it in the uh, they're putting it in the in the chat right now. It's just saddleback.com slash class. Okay, thank you very much. Because I am registered, but I Pastor Jay is not giving me a password or nothing yet. So well, there we go. Now you're set. Thank you. <laughs> and about baptism, uh, I think we all know, but I just want to re repeat that you don't have to be baptized to be saved. It doesn't cause you to be saved. Uh, your faith given to you by God, allows God's grace to come into your life. And you're saved by grace, not by baptism. Uh, baptism is an evidence of the fact that you're saved. It's a witness to others that you've been saved. But it's, it's also a joining together with the church. It is a commitment together with other believers. The Bible talks about we're one faith, we're, we're one baptism, we've joined together. And, uh, and so how many times do you need to witness your faith that you've come to Christ in baptism? Well, really only once. You only have to do it, quote unquote, once. And for many people, that's, that's enough. That's, they feel like that's what I needed to do. I feel like I've given that witness. And now my job is to watch other people give their witness through being baptized and be there with them and rejoice with them. I don't think baptism should ever go out of our lives. I think either we should be being baptized or we should be watching other believers be baptized because it's part of our, us being a family together. Uh, but some say, you know, I, it just would be meaningful to me to be baptized again. Maybe you were baptized as a child, or maybe you've gone through a, a difficult spiritual season in your life, and you need to just refresh your commitment. Is it okay to be baptized again? Well, of course it is. 
as long as you don't think you have to do it to be saved or to get God to forgive you, you know, if you're being baptized again and again to get God to forgive, I commit a sin, I got to be baptized. Commit a sin, got to be baptized. That's like a, you know, drip dry Christianity. You're doing a lot of being baptized if you're doing that. No, but if, if, if every once in a while you feel like I need to refresh my commitment, or sometimes um, a mom or a dad is baptized when their child is baptized, or especially a husband or wife, I've seen them be baptized again when their husband or wife is baptized. I think that's awesome. I just think that's awesome for, for a lot of reasons. And so God doesn't say, uh, there's a lot of believers, they go to Israel, and somebody says, hey, would you like to be baptized in the Jordan River? I can't say, oh, no, 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 sorry. You were baptized in the uh, Saddleback uh, Baptism Pond, and so you can't be baptized in the Jordan River like Jesus was. Why, why would you not have that experience? So as long as you don't think you have to do it to be saved or to get forgiven again, uh, I think it can be a refreshing of your faith from time to time. Uh, I think those that I see being baptized a lot oftentimes are feeling like they have to do it to be forgiven or to really get God's spirit in their lives. They're trying to recapture. <laughs> I got a funny illustration I've given people about this. They're trying to recapture something in their lives that they felt when they were first baptized, when really not, they shouldn't be going back trying to recapture that emotion. They should be going forward, allowing the fruit of the spirit in their lives, the, the, the gifts of the spirit in their lives. Uh, some of us are old enough to remember when the first Star Wars came out. And when the first Star Wars came out, there was an emotion to that movie that is sort of hard to describe. It's why people went seven, eight, ten times. And many of the subsequent Star Wars movies, people are going back trying to recapture the feeling that they had in the first Star Wars movie. Well, they're never going to get it again. First, they were 15 or 16 the first time. Now there's 56. They're just not going to feel the same again. So they don't need to go back and recapture the first Star Wars, they need to go on to other movies or to whatever God has next in their lives. That's a silly illustration just to say, sometimes people are baptized again to try to recapture an emotion. That's also dangerous, because that's not why we're baptized again. But if you're doing it to join in with somebody else, to refresh your commitment, uh, to, to make it a more adult commitment if you're baptized as a child, those are all really good reasons to be baptized again. So that's a longer answer than I usually give on that one, Dan, but it was a good, honest question, and, and I wanted to hear, hear your answer. Oh, I will say, since he asked that, there are some churches, and even Saddleback, that will ask you to be baptized again sometimes. If you were baptized in a church that believes you have to be baptized to be saved, or you have to be baptized to be forgiven, has some false teaching around baptism. That's probably not true of any of you, but every once in a while, somebody will come out of a church like that, and they'll say, do I need to be baptized again? And, and I'll talk with them. I'll say, yeah, it's a great idea, because what you're saying is, I believe what this church believes about baptism. It's just a way of reaffirming that, because we are of one faith and one baptism. And so, because of their humility and their love, they, they uh, are baptized because they want to join together in believing what God teaches about it uh, with uh, the rest of us at Saddleback. Okay, well, we have one final question that just popped up in the chat, and it says this, Scripture tells us that we have to give an account of our lives to God when we come home to heaven. Can you explain how we should understand this in light of the Spirit regenerating us? <laughs> So the Holy Spirit does make us new, mm -hmm. but we also are struggling with the old. Mm -hmm. And this is like a two-hour discussion, so I'm just going <laughs> to give you a real short thing of it. Uh, there is spiritual reality in our lives uh, that we are new in Christ. Uh, 
that we've made, been made perfect in Christ, that we're holy in Christ. But there is also the growth into that reality that we're going through in this world right now. You see the struggles that you have. You know you're not perfect. You know you're not fully holy yet. And book of Hebrews, uh, one place, ch chapter three talks about he has made holy those who are being made holy, which I love. He, he sees you as holy, but he also knows that he's making you holy at the same time. There's both and going on in our lives. And so when it comes to the judgment, there's both and going on. There are things, and uh, 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 3 is a great chapter to read about this, uh, where there are things like wood, hay, and straw, things are going to get burned up that we all build into our lives. And there's this sense that there'll be this moment of loss as we come into heaven of what could have happened, the faith that I could have had. But right alongside of that, this judgment that's talked about, there is a sense of there's also huge reward. So it's not just you're going to know what you've lost. You're also going to see all the rewards that you have gained in Christ. And for all of us, the reward just of knowing Jesus is, is enough to go for all of eternity. But there's also other rewards because of the prayers that you've prayed, and other rewards because of the people that you've served and the ways that you've loved, other rewards because of the unselfish ways that you have given yourself to your family and to your neighbors, and all of that is going to be heaped on us at that, at that moment. So yes, we have to give an account for every idle word, but that's not the whole story. We're also rewarded for every faithful word. So don't forget both parts of that as we go into heaven. We give an account, but we're also rewarded. And the person we're giving an account to is the one who's going to reward us in the end, is the one who, with whom we're going to enjoy this inheritance for all eternity. Uh, just to be really clear, uh, this, this judgment we're talking about for Christians is not whether you get into heaven or not. Right. Once you come to know Christ, that's settled. That's absolutely settled. In John chapter 5, Jesus says that we have passed out of judgment into life. It's already done. You're not standing in this long line wondering if you're going to get into heaven or not. Am I in or not? Am I in or not? No, you're in a different line. You know, you might call it the, the fast pass line, the one you really want to be in, because it's the line that Jesus has given, forgiven you. And because of that, you are coming into heaven. But even for believers, we're going to give an account to our Lord as we come in. And part of that account is the loss and, and maybe the moment of pain as we come into heaven. I don't know what it's going to feel like. But certainly the loss of what could have been if I had been faithful in that circumstance, but also the reward of what is because I was faithful in other circumstances. Once you get into heaven, you're not going to feel the loss anymore. How do I know that? Because the Bible says there's no tears in heaven. There's no mourning or crying or any such thing. If I knew all the time I was in heaven how much I'd lost, who I could have loved, what I could have done, I would be mourning for all of eternity. So I'm not going to remember that when I get into heaven. It's, it's a moment of, of account as I'm coming somehow into eternity. That's all I know about it. I don't know exactly how it works. I don't know what the circumstances are going to be. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to be. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us. I've just told you all that I know about it and my sense about it from what, what I know. So that's a good, thank you for that question. All right. And right on the nose, it's eight o'clock. <laughs> That was amazing, Tom, how you timed that answer. Yeah, I wasn't even looking, but that's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, before we um, wrap up, I did want to say we um, have put up the videos from the first two Q&A sessions in 
to the foundation's course online. So if you go onto the course, um, as if you're going to watch the videos um, on the very bottom, if you scroll all the way down, you can go back and watch the Q&A from the Bible section and from the God section. And then the one from um, two weeks ago on Jesus will be up either tomorrow or on, on Monday. We are working on, on processing that one now. And then this one is next up in the queue. So, uh, so they've been added as a section special for Pastor Tom's Zoom Q&As onto the course. Um, with that, we will be back for our next Zoom Q&A in two weeks from today, which, uh, what's today? The 9th, so that makes it the 23rd, I believe. Um, so we will be back then. Again, we'll send you links and stuff. And, and, and next time for that one, we'll send out another email on the morning of the Zoom just to make sure you have a fresh reminder in your inbox too with the link so it's easy to find and click. Um, yeah, with that, any other last thoughts, Linda or Tom, before I uh, close this out? I just love doing this and love being together with all of you. So glad you were here Linda tonight. literally loves nothing more than this. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I agree with Linda. I love doing this. And, you know, I've gotten to know some of you a little bit through these calls. Some of you are getting to know for the first time. But by God's spirit, because of what he's put into our hearts, guys, I just want you to know that I love you. And God loves you. And you're not in this alone. You are not in this alone. Uh, his love for us is real. His love for us is deep. And uh, I, I pray that God is helping you to sense how deep and real it is, even in these difficult days, because of my love for you as a church and as a part of Foundations. I love you all. Man, that was whew, lots of good stuff. Deep. That, that was deep. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's it's going to be deep, but Pastor Tom, you know, always is just hitting a thousand on uh, on those. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just again, as always, as I like to say, I'm just super grateful for his time in doing the those Q and A's, and I we really hope that they were beneficial for you. We really hope that you enjoyed those. Um, we will be coming back with something new next week, something different next week. We're going to take a pause in doing these foundations Q and A's. We'll come back. We'll do them again in the future because um, we still got creation, salvation, sanctification, good and evil, the church, afterlife, and the second coming. We still got all those topics to, to talk about. So, uh, but come back next week. We're going to have another new episode of doable discipleship for you we're so excited um we would tell you right now but we don't want to spoil the fun come on back and uh friends as always we love you we are, are praying for you uh we just pray that everybody is healthy and safe yep. right now and um we look forward to seeing you again next tuesday so until then bye guys <laughs> see you If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. 
Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Mm-hmm.